Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 186 recorded live January 23rd, 2014. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed, Arctic Vortex Part 2. From the west side of the state of Michigan, I'm Darren Jilson. Joining me this week, I have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing good, staying warm. And we also have, joining us this week, we have Jim Schultz, all the way from Florida. How are you doing? No, no, I'm back home. I'm not in Florida this week. Well, back from Florida. Back from Florida. With all the snow, I'm kind of wishing I was in Florida. Yeah, but, Kinda. <laughs> but but we know from Florida, you're going to have to have all those awesome warm water diving stories for us. Yeah, well, I've got one. You got one? <laughs> well, we'll take that. We'll live vicariously through you. I'd like to thank everybody who's tuning in this week. Apologize for those in the chat room. We have Dave in there, but we can't see it. Talk to you as being a pain, and then we've just had general all sorts of technical problems also last week we didn't record for the same thing uh having some issues with my isp uh all human error related but you got to work through them and we're recording this week so our first article up is we have uh another hose recall sunto recalls hose and the reason is for fear of drowning this one was issued today which is january 23rd high pressure scuba hoses the high-pressure hose may leak or rupture, leading to the loss of breathing gas, posing a drowning hazard. Consumers should stop using these products immediately and bring the hose or pressure gauge and dive computer to the nearest authorized Sunto dive dealer, Sunto Authorized Service Center for a free replacement hose. Consumers may also use the Sunto online service request at www.sunto, which is S-U-U-N-T-O dot com forward slash service request, and they'll get it picked up and delivered a new hose free of charge. So the specific, they said it's about 1,300 units that are part of the recall. The hose has a silver fitting on both ends. It says 5,000 PSIG pressure tested, made in the USA, batch code 1812. The product code is printed on it. The hoses were sold separately as components of Cobra, Cobra 3, SM36 model pressure gauges, and gauge combos along with the Viper and Zoop model dive computers and analog pressure gauges when purchased as combos. No injuries have been reported. Uh, they were sold at Sunto dealers between November 2012 to July 2013 for about $95 to $195. If they were sold with a pressure gauge, they were 400 to 900 if sold as part of a Sunto dive computer, or $85 the hose was just sold separately. And they, they said that they were stamped on made in the U.S., but looking below it says manufactured in Finland and U.S., so it must be components included. And Seems I, like you've had a lot of those in the last two years. I think it's just the nature of high-pressure hoses. It doesn't take much. But you, you kind of wonder, if you're a manufacturer, do you, it's got to be a little aggravating to be in that business. Well, you know how you have the protective sleeves you can put over your, your port, high-pressure port yeah. and your hose? I wonder if that's where it is getting weak is where they don't have the support. And the second part is, I don't remember ever paying $85 for high-pressure hose. Well, these are probably all list prices. What they're, this is what they're telling the dive shops you should be able to sell them for. Thank God they don't sell them for that much here. <laughs> yeah, the, well, they're not, they're not getting that price from me. No, that's for sure. And then did we cover the, uh, the, the cave deaths? Uh, we talked about the last week, but this is a continuation of this one, well, the week before last. Yeah, so, it, it, and we always feel bad for families and the loved ones of people who who have uh, deaths while diving, um, and you hate to disparage or, or place blame, but now what it's come down to is that the two divers who died in the Florida cave, as seems to happen when there's a fatality, and it's not just limited to diving any any activity it seems to go this way is that now 
the state is weighing whether there should be access allowed in those caves since this death. So what you did is you had two individuals, one who was scuba certified, the other who was not. Neither of them were cave certified, and they went into a cave past all the signs, the ones above water, the ones below water, that say there's nothing worth seeing in here. Go beyond this without proper training, and you can die. And that's what happened. And now we're to the point where the questions being brought up in, in state and local jurisdictions are questioning whether there should even be diving allowed. And when you go through this article and you read, the place where they're diving is not exactly easy to get to. It's a 30-minute drive down an unpaved road. Uh, it's managed by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, but they say frequently it's not staffed. It's it's fairly rustic. And what we're talking about is the evil, the evil, <laughs> eagle nest sink. And literally anybody who can get uh, tanks and fins can go in there. And it's a 300-foot cave. Uh, and according to some of the depth readings they had uh, after the event, uh, it looked like they had been down to 233 feet. So uh, just to, you, you go through this and you just see how people are doing that. And, and you wonder how that relates to other activities. Uh, it just, to me, is a 15-year-old and a 35-year-old getting equipment out. It's gross stupidity. Yeah. To, to have gone into a cave or even a cavern without yeah. the proper training. Well, and then what, what's the thing that we do whenever you get new equipment is you do it in a controlled space. So this is this was their Christmas. They had gone and gotten a bunch of brand new gear and they wanted to try it out. So even if you're certified, even if you're trained, you don't just go pop into a 300-foot cave and go for a test run. Well, it's always, if it only saves one life, I hate that argument because oh. it's not valid. Yeah. And I, I suppose the only other item is he wanted to have the state people there to validate that they had certification to enable cave diving. He said that might protect some people. Well, you know, as, you know as well as I do that certs can be um, forged. Generally, a lot of them, uh, older ones don't have pictorials or pictures on them. It's like I could borrow somebody's and do a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, I don't think I've got any any of my dive cards. I, do they have pictures on? I can't remember. Uh, I know. Well, some the, some of the old ones did. I know my YMCA's from years ago didn't, but I don't know if they had cameras back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of the more recent cards do have photos on them, but uh, yeah, I'm I, with you, Mac. I've got a lot of number of cards from years ago that have no photo. And, and again, it's like, in one way, it's like, why do I need a card for a deep dive? Why do I need a card for a unisuit or a dry suit? Why do I need a card for a river? Meaning, I, and I keep saying back in the day, I, I sort of hate to use that, but we did all of that and we didn't have sea cards. Doesn't mean we didn't get training and didn't mean we didn't have good peers. You know, I'm not sure... The, having a card doesn't make you, uh, what, there's a word I'm trying to think of. One is qualified is one. Capable. You may be qualified to do something, but what's the other aspect? Are you, uh, you're, you may be qualified, but if you don't have the experience, Skill, you shouldn't knowledge, be doing it. training, aptitude. Yeah. Again, practically experience. You start yeah. out slow, you work your way up. Yeah, And, and then what they're doing is mm -hmm. they're essentially guaranteeing that they there would be no state sites open except for the most popular because a state can't afford to staff that to play guardian. And if you do that for scuba diving, then what other activities are you talking about? You know, do you have to have the same thing for you know mountain climbing and rappelling? Do you have to have the same thing for uh, riding on the dunes? Does every swimming beach have to have a lifeguard? Uh, and it's again, it's I dislike the term. It's for public safety. You know, give me a break. A lot of people want to do a lot of different things, and you can't save everybody. I mean, Darwin, you know, he, he has to have somebody to take. Well, certainly seems to be that way. Another article from Florida. I think the Florida could be the, the theme of this show. Uh, scuba diving program ends after almost 20 years. Bob Wiseman uh, came to the University of uh, let's see what this Florida. I want to get it. It's F. Is it FS? 
I? It's, uh... Let's get to... Uh, I had it a minute ago. F-I-U-S-M. F-I-U. Florida International Florida University. In- International University, yes. Yes. So Florida oh. International University. Um, so essentially what he's been doing, he's been running this program for the last 20 years. Uh, he started out the program with just a little bit more than 15 personal tanks and no equipment, but the cro- program grew over the course of 19 years. He has certified 4,213 divers, and some of those students even went on to become scientific divers under his training. He says the dive program inspired many to pursue marine conservation efforts, and I think it's a shame that the program was removed because it was the best diving program in the country in 2013. And, oh, that wasn't him. This was uh, Manuel Garcia, senior biology major, who was a volunteer of the program. According to Wiseman, the program was self-sustaining and never received financial support from the administration. They terminated the program because they did not feel it was important and viewed it as a liability after FIU acquired the underwater reef base Aquarius. So they acquired the Aquarius, which went through this huge program to get funding, and FIU agreed to help manage it. And what happened is a professor, Jim Forquarian, uh, chairman of the university's diving control board said that the program was cut due to changes in the qualifications for the diver safety officer position. With the acquisition of the Aquarius Reef Base, the, diver, the diving safety officer position now requires a commercial diving and saturation diving experience. The new dive safety officer now is also the Aquarius operations director. Uh, for Quirion says that uh, mentions that the diving program was not terminated; it was moved to the university college, so that the program would be taught as a non-credit course. However, only thirty students enrolled in the course, which is insufficient enrollment to fund the program, so it was canceled. <laughs> so take something that's working, muck around with it a little bit, and then screw it up, and then cancel it. Well, what they did a little bit, I think, is bit off more than they could chew. The uh that Aquarius Reef is actually used to be a NOAA Aquarius Reef Base, and that was that underwater habitat located in the Florida yep. Keys National Marine Sanctuary, uh-huh. and one of the few underwater research facilities. And that's what's making the difference. Uh, it was it was owned by NOAA first, and operated by the University of North Carolina in Wilmington, and then Florida took it over in 2013. But due to the nature and the intensity of the diving, the type of diving. It fell under different rules and regulations. So that, it meant they had to upgrade the requirements. Yes. And then as part of any consolidation effort, because they could have done that and left the other program alone, but it appears that they tried to consolidate them together. That's what it appears to me. Yeah. So why, so why not co-op? So you don't make the previous instructor the in charge of the safety, but why not let him do what he was good at? Yeah, and and it seems like that would be a good ramp up to get people into it. Because if you have that facility that you're managing, it seems like you'd want to create a whole set of classes and courses that would feed that. You're going to have to be a diver to go into that. But now they're just looking; they didn't fill up the roster, so they're canceling it. Now well, he's still that. he's still teaching. He's he's just not teaching uh, accredited course. He's at the Biscayne Dive Center. Right. I think the whole thing was the diving safety officer position, like commercial license and a diving and saturation diving experience. You know, that it's hard to keep once you get it, but how are you going to maintain it if you're working with a college like that unless you're actually doing it? And my understanding, if I start doing that kind of work, then you'd fall under the OSHA, my OSHA laws of commercial diving and saturation diving, which is a lot more extensive than what they're used to. It's a lot more money. Yeah. Well, you got different physiology uh, going on with that saturation diving because that that facility, people are staying in there for long amounts of time. So even if it's not that deep, you're still getting into saturation situations. Yep. And then I'm sure that insurance played a a factor into that of who you're going to have managing it, what kind of experience do they have in that type of environment. But it just seems a shame where you could have taken and had two good programs. Instead, now you've got kind of a, a half one without a, a an entry ramp onto it. So hope Aquarius continues to go. I hope that uh, you know, they can somehow work through it. But that's, that's kind of sad. And then if you're interested, we talked about crocodiles last week. 
if you're in Florida, they're actually hiring for, and I wouldn't necessarily call them crocodile wranglers, but crocodile response agents to handle complaints from residents. They said it's a relatively rare event, but they sometimes have to capture and move crocs. So it's not full-time positions. They're part-time positions. The job is paying $25 an hour and includes a vehicle expense. They note that it is not something that you do for the money. The hiring process is meant to leave out, to weed out those who do not live close to where the work is. And also, if you say you want to wrestle the animals, that's pretty much a disqualification right there. Uh, not all the crocs will get moved. In, in fact, they, handle, they handled 200 complaints in 2013. Most remained because they did not meet the criteria for removal. Those that do are often uh, located to uh, capture sites. They said in Florida, is un- it lawful to kill crocodiles? And the crocodiles are listed on the threatened species list in Florida. I, I'd really like to know the stats on that because what I hear is they're every freaking place. Uh, my cousin goes down there to go fishing, and he says every every pond, you don't dangle your feet off the pier in any pond anymore. Uh, they're just everywhere. And I know that if I came out in my backyard and found one in my pool, he would have probably drowned. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I hear you there. I'm kind of the same way with, with wolves here in Michigan. The wolves have started to come back, and it, it's getting to be a battle of whether they're going to remain protected or not. And, you know, I'm okay with some. But people don't realize, you know, we've had the benefit here in the in the U.S. of, you know, living the last 40 or 50 years without a lot of aggressive predators near population areas. We don't remember what it was like 120 years ago where your kid's playing in the backyard and all of a sudden he's gobbled up by something. Yeah. Well, they're part of their solution is, is might be a good idea to have a fence to keep the crocodiles and the alligators. Yeah. which number 1.3 million in Florida. My understanding, that's a low number. Well, there's 1.3 million crocodiles? That's what they say. How's that that's a low number. How's that threatened? I I don't know. 1.3 million. I mean, what, what, are they, what are they wanting? I mean, do we need 10 know. million? They're just basically saying uh, alligators learn very quickly that people are not a threat to them, and they're not. Yeah. Oh, just and don't they get say little one, kid and your dog near them. Yeah, they said don't, don't leave your... Your children, your dog, don't let your dog run loose near the water. And uh, they say a lot of times it's fishermen who are cleaning their fish on the shores and just throwing the extras in the water. And the crocs get used to that. They know where you are. And if that becomes a habit, they may take the fish guts a little bit sooner than you anticipate. Well, I know they, they have some references here that some of these people really like them. What is this? They're, uh, a lot of us are very attractive to them. One was shot and killed last year, blah, blah, blah. She had been moved once after laying 27 eggs. A memorial service was held on the beach. I, excuse me, but I am not that fond of animals with big teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a war on lionfish, and uh, research is saying that, they, that that war can aid in the recovery of native fish. The study by the Oregon State University... They said even when lionfish are speared one at a time, it appears that it's a valid way to fight back. The Institute has shown that both in computer models and 18 months of field tests that reducing lionfish numbers by specified amounts at the sites they studied between 75 to 95% will allow rapid recovery of native fish biomass in threatened areas and to some extent aid larger ecosystem recovery as well. In some locations, the lionfish, who have a voracious appetite, have wiped out 90%, 95% of the native fish in the Atlantic locations. They said this is excellent news. It shows that creating a safe haven in small pockets of reef where lionfish numbers are kept low can help native species recover. They said we don't have to catch every lionfish to do it. That's good, the researchers say, because the rapid spread of the lionfish in the Atlantic makes eradication virtually impossible. They've been found thriving in deep water locations which are difficult to access. The part I think is interesting, a new study confirms for the first time that controlling lionfish populations. How do you do that again? Kill them and eat them. But I mean, they're saying if you do this, everything goes back to nice. It's great, but how do you stop the problem to begin with? Yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't think you're going to get it to begin with, but really it comes down to any species. If... If a species doesn't have a place to 
uh, spawn and breed, then they'll eventually be wiped out. And that's what it appears to be has happened to the lionfish is that they're so invasive and so populous and they can just hoover up all the fry of uh, other species that they're wiping them out. So if you can take certain areas and, and thin them down, then the native species can come back in those pockets. And then once they, because I don't think the lionfish, and, I, and I'm not specifically sure, but I don't think that they can, there's a limit to what they can eat. Yeah, you know, I, well, I doubt. I, I doubt that they're getting. They're eating full size groupers and. Well, I notice it said here that they have venomous spines, which keep people away. No natural predators in the Atlantic Ocean, and they have very aggressive behavior. They have been shown to eat almost anything smaller than they are. Anything, fish, shrimp, crabs, octopus. Lionfish can also withstand starvation for for protracted periods. So. I, I understand what they're saying, but how do you decrease the lionfish in an area to give the other ones time to recover? It doesn't address that. Well, I think that they were what they were talking about or alluding to was just scuba divers killing them off. I don't know what else. I Like you said, I haven't seen anything else other than divers. Well, their other statement contradicts that when they say, Many invasions such as lionfish are occurring at speeds and magnitude that outstrips the resources available to contain and eliminate them. Yeah, but I, I took it that their point was is that you didn't need to completely eliminate them. You just had to have pockets where you had a focused effort to eliminate them. But if they breed and are so prolific, how long will it take them to overcome that area again? Oh, not long. You're going to have to keep the maintaining it. Uh, now, one thing I because lionfish existed at other places in the Atlantic. So, what kind of predators are there in their native areas? Or are we just looking at kind of a harmonization of the oceans, where every species is everywhere and you lose some, but everything kind of averages out? I don't know. I'm, I'm I am curious when they talk about uh, the Atlantic is the only thing referenced in here. Nothing about the uh, Pacific. I mean, I mean, no, no uh, natural enemies. Yeah. Or predators. Don't know. It's not a, a nice problem to have, as we're going to be having with our carp later. But. Yep, that will be this year. I'm sure we're going to have about 20 articles on that coming up this season. Yeah. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, it's the Asian carp that's been assumed would eventually enter the Great Lakes. There's really been no effort to keep them out because what I personally believe is that shipping companies and other uh corporations with interest haven't really been too interested in restricting or, or taking the means to close down the waterways that are allowing the invasive species to get in. And so, they've already proven that the electric nets and the electric fences don't work. No. Now we're talking about as a barge goes through it, all they got to do is follow in the wake for a couple of hundred feet and the electric pattern or the fence mechanism has been defeated. Yeah. So it's, it's not a, an issue of when or if they are, it's just like you said earlier, when. Yeah, yeah. They just wanted to, to make it appear that they were doing something because it's kind of like they weren't they weren't willing to risk uh, the shipping that was dependent on that on those waterways. Uh, we have vision guarded, vision guarded, <laughs> vision guided underwater robots discover sea anemones living in ice. The Arctic Geological Drilling Program found a new species of small sea anemones living in the underside of the Ross Ice Shelf in Antarctica. They used a 4.5 cylindrical subsea remotely operated vehicle, which is comp uh, comprised of front maneuvering thrusters, an electronic housing, rear maneuvering thrusters, a main thruster, and a tether attach point. It was capable of under ice navigation and imaging, it had a vision system with a tilt forward camera, a fisheye lens, forward lights, and fixed downward camera, laser scaling, and protection cage. They said the uh, site surveyed were the first time that this or any other ROV had been deployed through the ice shelf. The ice shelf was 250 to 270 meters thick in areas where the dives were performed. A total of 14 dives over two sites over several days, the longest being slightly over nine hours. The species of an enemy, gosh, should I even try it? Edward Salea Andrelea? I'm sure I'm not Better even close. Better you pronouncing that than me. <laughs> were burrowing into the underside of the ice. They were discovered in 2010, but were only publicly identified for the first time in a recent article in PLOS One. So, yeah, what kind of 
garbage is this? So you find it, but you don't publicly announce it for three years? Uh, somebody's probably writing a book and an article on their discovery so they get credit for it. Something. Well, is it publish or die or something? Isn't that what the professors always used to say? Well, publish, die, and get a big grant, grants and endowments. They found a whole new ecosystem, one that had never been seen before, according to the press release. What started out as an engineering test or remotely operated vehicle during its first deployment through the thick ice shelf turned into a significant, exciting biological discovery. They said uh, plans for a, D, a for a project called Deep Sini are underway, which includes a further study of environment using a robot to explore deeper in the ocean up to 1,000 meters compared to the current ROV's 300-meter limit. NASA, which is interested in microbiology and the possibility of identifying potential in, uh, habitats using remote sensing capabilities, is helping to finance the project. Still cool. Oh, yeah. And then if you're interested in that type of uh, career with ROVs, it seems like now's not too bad of a time. We've got a, this is, oh, crud. Helps if I copy the correct link. The Hydroid Cape Cod Underwater Robotics Firm, but it's a mouthful, is expanding. They've in, they're increasing their staff by more than 50%. The company is Hydroid, H-Y-D-R-O-I-D. I thought uh, any form of the word droid was uh, protected by Lucas, now owned by Disney. wonder how they got away with that one. Well, I think Hydroid has been in existence long before Lucas. <laughs> oh no, you you got to understand entertainment. It doesn't matter. Like did you like did you see a little side note that uh, the trademarked candy is uh, potentially being awarded to King Company, who makes up the game Candy Crush on Facebook, and they're trying to say that you can't use any word with King with with candy or Saga in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be absolutely ludicrous to do that. Well, it looks like uh, it's going through uh, public review right now, but my guess is they're going to give it to them and let the courts fight it out if they want to sue. That's ridiculous. Like the hydroid, <laughs> that's an animal, hydro, hydrozoa class. Yeah. How, how, how can you patent or not patent it, but get yeah. a copyright or whatever you want to call it for them? Oh. I don't understand that at all. Yeah. But then again... Yeah, so, but this company, Hydroid, is building a new 40,000-foot, square-foot home in, uh, is that Pocasset? It currently occupies 33,000 square feet there. Uh, they expect to maintain at least 10,000 square feet of the lease space for sales, marketing, administrative functions. Uh, let's see. It was a, the Hydroid was, a, in 2001, a spinoff from a technology developed by Woodhole Oceanographic Institute in Falmouth. Falmouth? Mon Alt, who helped guide uh, Hydroid sale to Norwegian conglomerate Kansberg in 2008, will remain chairman of Hydroid's board of directors and will focus on long-range projects. Dwayne Fotheringham will uh, uh, step in as the president. They said recruiting younger workers for a business that operates on the south side of the Cape Cod Canal can be challenging, but they say that uh, they make the trip because they're excited about the technology. All of Hydroid's robots are manufactured there and tested in the oceans with two boats that are based at a nearby Romania marina. The region has become known as a robotics hub with MIT acting as a focal point. Boy, that, do you see that photo there? That's a pretty snazzy-looking ROV, wouldn't you say? I like the color. Yeah. Those, those aren't exactly uh, pocket chains, I'm going to say, by the look of them. No. And what's kind of driving this is that these ROVs are being used in a lot of deep sea. We've got uh, activities going on with oil and mineral exploration. Uh, you've got different governments who are trying to claim underwater boundaries and also monitor. So it's created a market and you're getting some growth. Uh, they went from uh, 84 employees at the end of 2012 to 120 full-timers. Currently, they're expecting by the end of 2014 to be up to 150 uh, employees, they're hiring in departments of engineering, project management, accounting, and manufacturing. So that does it for the news portion. We got some quite a few articles with some photos. Oh, crap, I copied the. Oh goodness, <laughs> I did that to your your copy, didn't you? You don't get the underwater sand dunes, do you? Uh, I went and found it though. You did find it. What do you think of that photo? Yeah, that's 
that's freaking awesome. One, the color is neat, so I don't know how deep that is. Did it well, say? I, they don't, and, I, and it doesn't say how much, you know, what what is the scale? You know, I'd, I'd like to have some point of reference. Is that photo across five miles, or is that 100 yards? I don't know what made that structure, but it, it's a, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. It, it's quite interesting. Like I said, that aerial photography or photo doesn't give me that reference that I could look at this and tell what the other one's supposed to mean. But that is awesome looking. And another one we we've covered this one before, but these are some new new photos of it. It's the underwater ballroom, and this one is the Whitaker oh, yeah. Wrights. Uh, who was born in England in 1846, traveled to North America in the 1870s, amassed a fortune in mining companies. In 1889, he returned to England along with his American wife and three children for multiple companies which floated stock and bonds for the mining industry. He purchased a massive estate, Lee Park in Surrey, and set about creating a lavish 32-bedroom home, 11-bathroom home surrounded by lush gardens, tranquil lakes. Beneath one of the ponds, he installed an underwater ballroom. I think there was a fire, wasn't there, at one point? Yes, there was. Yeah. And there's, and there's kind of a tragic story about him. In the end of the 1900s, his empire collapsed. To avoid police detection, the disgraced former millionaire spent the week sequestered away in an ice house in a sprawling manor. He was found yeah, guilty man, of uh, fraud and sentenced to seven years and penal servitude. I like the part where he said, then he excused himself to the antechamber, handed his watch to one of the lawyers, asked for a glass of whiskey and a cigar. After a few sips of single malt and a quick puff of tobacco, he promptly dropped dead. His counsel had not noticed him swallow a cyanide capsule along with the drink. Yeah, sure they didn't. Plan B was a revolver at his side that they didn't look at until later. Yeah, he. They, and the mansion burned in 1952. Yeah. But I bet that was awesome when it was first built. Oh yeah, that's just a beautiful facility. I mean, and you look at it that they there was a lot of money spent on that, but maybe I guess if you do things a little underhanded, you can get some money like that. There's about 85 what billion billion billionaires. We could ask those guys. Yeah. Yeah, what was the number that just came out? They said that uh 1% of the Eight. world's population has 50% of the wealth. And well, they had another one that 85 the 85 billionaires controlled an astronomical percentage of that total wealth. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think those eighty five billionaires were half of the half of the wealth of that top percentage. Which the, the the funny thing that's kind of tough about wealth like that is it's more of power and control than it is about you. Heck, I mean they're not walking around with a checkbook and you know buying you know a billion Big Macs. <laughs> you know, it's more about how you you manipulate and move resources around than that you personally. It's the game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you, you get that far, yeah. So I mean, you know, I mean, if you at, got a billion hand, dollars, you, you, what are you going to do with a billion dollars? Well, right. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to play with it, but <laughs> I wouldn't try to make more money at my age, anyway. Yeah, you wouldn't have to just just play with it. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'd have a lot of fun. Uh, maybe a dive boat, a submarine. Maybe my butt. Be absolutely. <laughs> All I know is the mud club guys would be busy for the rest of their lives. Oh, come on, quick, hurry up. <laughs> After days like today, I'm I'm ready. But you look at those photos of that place, and even now it's still pretty impressive. I'm yeah. wondering why it's not flooded now, because you can't tell me that's maintenance-free. No, I don't think so. Still beautiful. Okay, and then this other one from National Geographic. Did you see those photos? Yes, Lying I was underwater. just looking at them. Haunted underwater cave holes, human bones. Yeah. And, and, that and one the reason they're saying it's awesome. haunted is that the locals specifically would not go around them. And the city that is there currently go uh, avoids that site. So if you look at the photos, they, they had to rappel 40 feet into uh, the lip of a cenote, which is a water-filled cavern. That, did you see the picture? I mean, it took me a second to find the guy. He's the guy with the blue helmet. That's sort of off. It looks green, and in the middle of the green, you see blue. And that's yeah. when I realized that's a climber. He looks like a little Lego guy. He's just yeah. tiny in this huge photo. Oh, I just realized he's got scuba gear on. He's got flippers on. Yeah, they, they're going in. That's so all water. You know, going down wouldn't be a bear. It wouldn't be bad. But getting up's got to be a bitch. Well, I'm hoping that they got some sort of power appell. But just think about 
you know, all the things that we have to plan with diving, you've well, got a you little bit of extra risk. Anything happens down there, you're not exactly popping on your way back up. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be concerned too much with the power repel. I think gravity would be enough power. I'd want a way to get back out. Well, motor don't, driven. Don't don't they have some of those uh, like little motors that will take you back up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now they've got one that uh, you can actually jump through now. You can you can do a halo through it or a base jump, open in the cavern, then land. And then they have a motorized so you don't have to climb up the hard way to help you rotate and get up again. But that, that'd be awesome. Now that I look at the photo, looks like there's some gear at the bottom of the, where he's climbing down. If you look straight down, that's either a person or additional gear. Yeah. They, they have a photo where they're doing a uh, ritual called Calming the Earth. Its purpose is to ask the gods for permission to enter the cenote. And they place uh, the cenote's legendary guardian, an enormous feathered serpent, with a horse's head that the locals believe will snatch children who get too close. But it's got to be the best babysitter in the world, doesn't it? <laughs> You're at home and you just tell the kids, uh, guess what's going to get you if you wander too far away? Yeah, the third shot's pretty good. That's decent visibility with the lights, with the one diver, cave diver. Yeah. Yeah, when, you whenever you see that cave diving, it looks, you you can't even see the water. Looks I like don't just see floating. a line on him, though, or a tagline. No. And that's one thing we haven't found yet is a skull by itself like they have here. No, they they said that uh, they'd seen several skulls from the very first dive. They're still doing initial assessments of putting together a plan of action for mapping the cenote. I think it's a little forward of them the way they said that belonged to a woman because the jaw was open. <laughs> is that what they said? <laughs> Okay, maybe they didn't say that, but they could have. <laughs> you're, you're getting them in trouble. They didn't even say it. The skeletal remains are, have been scattered all over the bottom of the Rockfall slope. So they think is that there was an originally a one chamber, and that collapsed down into another. So They also have a bovine skull there that they're showing. Yeah, lots of teeth in that sucker. Yeah. You see the guy down, the next shot after that? I see a golf ball. Yeah, well, made it a real dive. Wow, I just, I'm just staring at all these pictures. Well, it's like the last picture of the guy sitting on the arc of that roof. It's like, man, I have me a rope line, because that, if that breaks, you're going yeah, for a even, long Even though time. that's probably been there for 20,000 years. Yeah. I, that'd sure be my luck. To, that'd be when it would go. Yeah, you trust it with your life. Uh, he says his team has been working on the cenote since the year 2000. They said this was our best season ever. I don't know how we could top that. Uh, they're going to continue to. the gold at the bottom. Yeah, the gold. I mean, you think about it. We do kind of the same thing out here. We, you dive what's close to you. So, But some beautiful shots. And then how's this for the video of the week? Not exactly scuba diving. Somebody kind of getting into the water their own way into their own homemade shark cage. Mac, would you go in the water with that? <laughs> well, I've think, been trying to find that one, and I couldn't find a picture of the cage. Or the cage. So I don't you, know why it's not coming up for me. Oh, you're, it's not showing you that first frame? Uh-uh. Jim, are you able to see that? I'm having internet problems. Okay. Uh, Mac, uh, scroll down below the video. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to save it again and then hit and open up another window. Okay. Put it in the top. Because you do, right as you said, uh, the, this should go down in the record books as the dumbest thing ever done in shark-infested waters. Sean Harrington found out that there was a six- to eight-foot tiger shark spotted off the waters of uh, Kulangata, Queensland, and he did what any reasonable, life-loving person would do. He grabbed the flimsy wire bird cage and a GoPro and jumped into the water. Yeah, he does have a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, have you now seen I that see the cage yet? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is insane. Well, he's not even scuba. He's just holding his breath. Oh, yeah, he's just holding his breath going down. And this is a cage, you know, my wife works in animal control. And you know that your normal uh, chain link fence, they have dogs that they bring in that will destroy that in a matter of minutes. 
that their jaws are strong enough to destroy chain link. And this is a tiny, I don't even know what gauge that wire is. It's just, it's your typical wire bird cage you get at your local big box retailer. And, you know, I can crush it easily in my hands. A shark that's going to make, that's not even going to slow him down. It's like, that's like a toothpick to him. And as you can guess, things didn't go as planned. He yelled, feel my rage. I'm in the cage. And he jumped into the ocean. Then he said something just didn't feel right. He tried to yell to the camera crew who's shooting the video for the website uh, to pull him out. And they just laughed. They thought he was goofing around. Tiger shark lunged at Harrington from behind the last minute to save himself. He threw the the cage at the shark. He walked away from the waters unharmed. However, his wife is not talking to him. (laughs) It's not the smartest thing he said of the stunt. Did you take a look at the uh, pictures of the sharks below that? Yes. Did you see that one that's called a frill shark? Let me see. Which one is that one? It's picture number eight. That is a god-awful looking animal. I mean, that would be that's something you'd see in your freaking nightmare. It's normally at 600 meters, so it was rare to see something this shallow. Similar to fossils of sharks that were 30, 350 million years ago. Eight of 19, that is a very ugly, scary-looking animal. <laughs> Man. That, that is pretty darn ugly. Oh, uh, yeah. Very scary. Wow. This shows that there's certain parts of the ocean where time must not move as we're used to. Now, Cuba's cool scuba gear. Last week we talked about the the we call it industrial design prototype. You know, something that didn't really exist. I've I've seen items on that that people believe that's real. I have counted over thirty articles in the last week, and not a single one of those articles mentions that this device does not exist in reality and does not work. And the way they're talking about it, you could buy one of these today. Yeah. You know, how stupid is our media that they're not asking, is this possible, see a demo, and then how much does it cost? That is unbelievable. And so I'm just – one aspect, I like the fact that it got people thinking about scuba diving, but now it's setting up unreasonable expectations, and it's just plain wrong. Uh, You know what? Did did you hear my, my most recent invention? A uh, two-person DPV that runns on uh, two AAA batteries and will we'll go for 100 hours between replacement. I want one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I just talked about it. I'll mock one up. I'll do a little, like, pencil sketch of it, and it'll be real. Oh. So you heard us say it here. It does not exist. And, and it, it also kind of comes down to people not challenging, like we talked about last week. The, the, the amount of pressure for the volume to be able to even get a breath would be insurmountable. It so, would be something. It would be it cool. It would be nice, be nice to have one, but it ain't yeah. happening. Not anytime soon. No, no. Well, that's... Yeah. But when you start talking about the media, <laughs> it, I mean, that's that's... That's ludicrous anyway. It's whatever they can do. Like to say, no matter if it's bad publicity, publicity is what some people want. And the news, doesn't matter if it's true or false, as long as it gets them print time. Yeah. Well, it, look it at the retractions. When they, when they say something outrageously incorrect, you know, two weeks later, you'll put a one-line article on the 19th page of Section F to say, well, we really didn't mean that, and we're sorry about that. Yep. Well, this next one is the top 19 scuba diving equipment manufacturers. And we're not going to read them all out, but is there anybody that you're surprised or not surprised who's on that list? And I don't think I have the list you're talking. Okay. Did I not copy all the way down there? I didn't see it on mine. Okay. Well, they've got Ares. AUP under uh, American Underwater Products, Apollo, Aquatech, Bauer Compressors, Boatshat, Body Glove, Cressy, Dive Right, DUI, H2O Odyssey, 
Henderson, Ziegle, Johnson Outdoors, Mayor Sherwood, Scuba, Seiko, Dive, Seasoft. Jim, we're picking up a little bit of uh, breathing there. Sorry. No problem. Uh, but I think that makes sense. Now, the thing we have to remember is that many of these companies have multiple brands. So when you think of Johnson Outdoors, they've got quite a few. Who's got, uh, who's missing on there? Uh, how about, uh, maybe it's Aqualung. Aqualung's there. Maybe I need to come up with an infographic that just shows all the popular brands and how they relate. I was taking a look at the uh, vendors who are going to be available at Our World Underwater that's coming up pretty soon. Yeah. And just looking to the vendor listing, there's a tremendous number of travel. So I yeah. think the economy must be improving for them to be there. I think so. Plus, there's enough of a market markup and travel that it makes sense to send somebody. Yeah. I mean, if you can get four or five people from a show to go and visit your location, you probably paid for the trip. Plus, you can yeah. also like some, a, go ahead. No, I just say go ahead. Uh, yeah, you 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 can also you know send your material up, and if you've got an agent in the local in the area who's making commission, they can also man the booth. Yeah, I was just looking through the items of uh, items that I like to look at, which is equipment. Sure Water Research. I'm not sure what that one is. That could be interesting. Uh, sure Water, isn't that sure the, uh, the computers, dive computers? Yeah. Okay. That's the dive computer I purchased recently. Oh, all right. Uh, now, I'm not quite sure what Power Home Remodeling Group has to do with diving, but it's there. Poseidon Diving Systems, I'd like to see that one. They were there last time. Uh, Patty, of course. Uh, let's see what else they got here. I'm going to predict Michigan Underwater Preserve Council. a lot of rebreathers. I see Mares is there. Mares, yeah, it makes sense. Icolite, of course. I always like to look at their stuff. Historical Diving Society, I like that one because I need me a new T-shirt for the hard hat. Fourth Element, that'll be nice. Um, and you know that uh, Wolf has some Fourth Element gear now. Yeah, they, they've expanded into that. I've, I'm seeing more of the Fourth Element that they're carrying. Yeah, I think uh, Mr. Meester is trying to get uh, some newer and more versatile items, such as different dry suits, which yeah. would be very nice if he's able to do that. Uh, DJ Scuba Locker, is that the one that was downtown also? Do you remember? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Okay, Diving un, uh, Unlimited International, I think that's a travel song, isn't it? Diving, I that Unlimited, be. yeah, International would be Diving. Dive Tech, remember what di Dive Tech was? And Dive Right, Dive Right's got their nice systems. I like to look at the harnesses to yeah. basically see how you can modify your own to look yeah. like theirs. Yeah, because they got the uh, back plates and the... Yes. The... You know, kits for ringing your your cylinders, also uh, side mounts. Yeah. Uh, and they do have a rebreather, one of the canister models. Yeah. The only thing you really don't have listed is what they used to in the old days, and that's dive clubs. Yeah. You don't see too many dive clubs out around anymore. Well, I mean, not, not in this type of, of uh, presentation or show. Still, I'm going to go to it. it. It will prove to be interesting. Maybe the mermaids will be there again this year. I need we can only hope. Oh, we can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> Please be there. Did you guys take a look at the uh, listing of uh, seminars and stuff they're having? No. Tremendous number of dive travel. Uh, dive with a pro. Some of those are pretty decent, like I like Photo School. That's nice. Shipwrecks of Superior. History of Diving. That's by Sir Robert Max. Marks. I think he's been there forever. Rebreather technology simplified. They're probably talking about the new uh, Poseidon sport one. Uh, Wonders of the Sea, shipwrecks and archaeology. A couple, you know, Dave Trotter is there. Uh, Valerie will be there, of course. Dive medicine, I've always enjoyed those. But lots of travel. Anyway, it's worthwhile looking at, so if you're going to go that way, you'll know what you want to see or you don't want to see. Still looking forward to a good trip. I am too. I, I've got to make sure that stuff doesn't get in the way. My my camping that was supposed to happen this weekend got uh, canceled due to cold weather and gusting winds. So that means no outdoor camping for me. Well, I'm still curious to see how it's going to be this weekend, even for going over to Illinois and Indiana area. 
because the weather's supposed to get pretty sucky again. Yeah, I think it's going to be. I still hope we can get a dive, a good ice dive in February. I was looking at the dates, and uh, with as cold as it's been, we should be able to have some good thick ice. Jim, were you the one telling me that a couple of the lakes had like 10 inches? Yes, 10 inches on one of the local lakes. A local fisherman told me that's what he had. Wow, 10 inches. That is, that. is It's been a while. I'm trying to remember if I've dove in ice 10 inches. It, it's good. Not, like you said, we haven't had that locally for a long time. Of course, in Wisconsin and up north, they have, you know, really, oh, really that, that thick happens ice. every year. But this is the first time I've seen people ice fishing in the St. Joe River off of Benton Harbor and, and St. Joe. Oh, really? Yeah, it was in the paper today, and I'm looking at that and saying, damn. You know, yeah, I know I'm, where he was fishing at, and it's like, that's a little precarious out there. You have to, there's, there's a risk in ice fishing in the in the river. My grandfather had a lot of horror stories of people having problems with that. You, know, you definitely well, want to have a life jacket. And well, uh, I think they need a sea card myself to go out there and fish. Special permit. Yeah. Special training. <laughs> For their safety, of course. Yeah, of course. And, and insurance. Yeah. Now, now, Jim, uh, I don't think we've talked to you since you got back from Florida. What was the, the diving like down there? Well, I got one dive in with Dave Faulkner, and that was uh, on an artificial reef outside of Tampa. We went out on Dave's boat. Um, it's about nine miles out, I believe, 30 to 40 feet of water. And unfortunately, it was rough. We had two to three footers rolling in out there. Uh, Dave dropped anchor, came down in the sand, uh, went down the anchor, and I only had about three feet of visibility. I could see about a foot beyond the end of my glove. So I dropped a tag line and started doing a nice sweep and snagged something, came back to it, started looking around, and apparently was one of the tanks that uh, they had there. These were old military army tanks that they had dropped in there former reef so i looked around that a little bit and then was you know working my way around to sweep a little more and uh, found that we were right by a second tank so they dropped the line like right between two tanks uh they probably weren't six feet apart but i couldn't see the two tanks together so I ended up seeing pieces of two tanks uh, before I finally came back up the line and was done. I was uh, did a three mil one piece suit uh, with gloves and a hood, three mil gloves and a thin hood. Um, had about a thirty five minute dive, and it was probably mid sixties, sixty five to sixty eight, sixty nine, somewhere in that for water temps. So it wasn't. You know, the greatest of dives, but it was a uh, saltwater dive that I hadn't done in a long time. So That's excellent. And, and we don't get to see tanks in the water up here, so it's a no. good opportunity for that. Too bad you couldn't have a little bit better viz, but to show, yeah. to show you know, even in the, the warm tropical waters, you don't always get to have great viz. No, but, uh, you know, it was a, a dive in January in a three mil suit with no ice. I'd take it. So, Mac, I don't think you've gotten any diving in since we talked uh, a couple weeks ago, have you? Uh, no, sir, not since the kayak trip. Oh, wow, that's that's got to be about the longest uh, dry spell for you in about a year. Yeah, nine days, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's not that I didn't want to go. It's like there really isn't an opportunity. I've been looking for some open water, and a couple of spots I found some, but you got to have two people at the minimum. And with the ice flows, it's probably not the best, even with somebody holding your line. Yeah, yeah, it's not not always the best, but uh, yeah, I'll have to get my chainsaw working this weekend, even if I can't find anybody to go diving with, get all my gear set up and ready to go. I've got mine downstairs ready to roll. I got to the minute men mentality. Yeah, yeah, I just, that's that. It, I love diving this time of the year. I just haven't had a chance to do it. I'm not looking forward to, the, to being cold because there's no way that I'm not going to be a little chilly. In my wetsuit. <laughs> you just put your damn suit on, you're going to be chilly. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I still have uh, the one sitting over here for you. Yeah, I out. need to. Maybe I'll make arrangements to come over there tomorrow and uh, pick it up. Yeah, I could 
that'd be a good project for me to go and get all yeah, the details worked out on that. Whether I'm home or not, uh, the wife knows where it is. It's laying there in the front living room. Okay. So I'll just make it more obvious for her. Okay. Yeah, I'll get it out of your hair. Uh, do we have anything to plug? We already talked about our world underwater. Well, we got some things going on, but it's not club related. <laughs> if, you, if you didn't have to work, you'd go with us to Kodiak, the 28th. Yeah, yeah. I've I've got to look through my time off. I got some. I'm I'm start. I'm finally getting back to the point after the acquisition by the new company where I've got some vacation time starting to build up. So I'll have to decide how much of it this year I want to use and how much of it I want to bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like having a few weeks extra. Then that way, when stuff like this comes up, I can go and run. So there's there's some there's some potential there. Uh, as always, make sure you can head on over to our website, www.scubobsess.com. Some of the stuff you heard about Mac talking about the dive club, that's mudclub.scubobsess.com. Join us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubobsessed. And we're also on Scoop It. So you go to Scoop It and you look up Scoob Obsessed on there, do a search. Go into Google, do a search on Scoop It. We're also on Twitter, uh, Scoob Obsessed. And Google. Still trying to do more with Google. I'm, I get some stuff coming on there. So, And Pinterest. I'm doing some Pinterest. All sorts of stuff. Social media. There's there's just too many options, I think, sometimes. Sometimes I think there's an advantage to being old <laughs> and an old fogey. Uh, well, I started computers in 1978, and I feel like I should have retired by now. I don't think there's been a career in any field that has moved at the rate of computers since I started. Oh, I, 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 I agree with you 100%. I've got several people who have been in it like you, started out with a Commodore 64. Oh, yeah? And, and I still probably have one down in the basement myself. But it's, yeah, Commodore 64 right. was, was after I started. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that, was, that, was like, that was like two or three years later. Because Commodore 64, because I, I did the, we'll go on a computer tangent here. The first computer I personally had was the TRS-80 by Radio Shack. I remember that. $599, 599.4K of memory, 3.5K of that was usable, and it had a cassette player as a backup. Uh, about Man. a year later, a friend of mine got the Commodore VIC-20, the predecessor to the Commodore 64. I can name all those computers. Like I, I used to say, at one point in time, I could name all the processors and chipsets that were available, and now it, it would be it would literally take you a year just to say everything that's available within a year. There's just so much. Oh well, maybe we need to have another podcast reminiscing old guys with computers. But every three years since I started computers, you have to. There's enough change that you've pretty much relearned your field. Certain things carry apart, which is what makes you successful, but there's just a lot changing in technology all the time. Well, are we ready for that time of the show? I am. I am just hardly can contain myself. Please do, though. Please do contain yourself. (laughs) We've seen you uncontained, and it's not a pretty sight. Uncontained. There's a T-shirt in there somewhere. I don't know how you can ride on a Zodiac and can't get up in the nose and have a rope on that man or ride that sucker. (laughs) <laughs> that's fun oh it's awesome so here we go on thursday night i gradually woke up stiff as a plank in a hospital icu tubes up my nose and down my throat wires monitoring every function all around my head hell of a pain in my left ear and a gorgeous nurse hovering above me <laughs> it was obvious i had been in a serious dive accident she looked at me deep and steady and heard her voice say you may not feel anything from the waist down i managed to mumble or pie can I feel your hooters then? <laughs> hey, they're, they're hey. not the waist down. Yeah, it, it sounded like fair game to me. Yeah. Have a question? Hey, and she said so. Yeah, he had permission. What else do you need? It's called the will to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great for her to encourage that. You know? Yeah. Mm. Now that's nursing. That's, that's what I call bedside manner. Absolutely. So on that note, until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>
watch those hooters. <laughs> oh, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you have to mention? It's our job. <laughs> <laughs>